Well, good morning. good morning. Wow, you know, it's really amazing to me that the early service people are more awake than the second service and then the third service. So good on you guys. That's great. Yeah, cheer yourselves on. All right, why don't we stand this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we're going to pray that God would really move powerfully in our lives. You know, I, I've been working on this sermon for three weeks, and uh, yeah, that's, it's interesting because I'm going to talk about our speech. How many know that that can get us into a lot of trouble? Anybody know that? <laughs> All right. So we're going to ask God to really help us today as God begins to work in our lives. We want to just welcome those that are watching live stream and uh, it's kind of fun, too, because I've been FaceTiming and talking to different missionaries that we support around the world, and some of them have been joining our services. So we just want to greet all the people that are tuning in from not only Red Deer, but from all over the world uh, with us here this morning. So, Father, we want to thank you this morning as we come into your amazing presence. What a gracious, loving, caring Father you are. And in this hour, there are so many challenges. I know there are people who have lost loved ones. Uh, some are going through those moments right now. We want to pray for those families that you would encourage and strengthen them. We pray for those that are struggling uh, in this uh, season of COVID where there's restrictions and there's people that are battling uh, just all kinds of issues at this time. And it just seems to uh, exasperate those situations. So I pray for those that are walking through difficulty and discouragement and despair in their souls. Lord, would you lift them up this morning? Would you strengthen them today? And even as we examine your word this morning, may your spirit search out our hearts and may you bring about a transformative work in our souls today that even the things that we say will be changed because of the work you're doing in our hearts, Lord. I, I love what the psalmist says May the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God. And may that truly be said of us, your children, so that we could be part of the solution to a world that's broken. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. How many of you would just it, it would be stunned if you thought someone took over a country and destroyed it in a matter of days? Wouldn't that be kind of weird? You know, and yet we have a story such as this in the scriptures. Here was a person who within a few days after uh, assuming responsibility destroyed most of the country that he was actually leading. And that's the story of Rehoboam. Rehoboam is actually the son of King Solomon. You think that here's a, a guy that grows up in a home where you have a guy like Solomon who had all this wisdom and he's pouring it into the life of his son. And as we examine his story, we discover that uh, what he said literally impacted his nation. And I think that we can say this truly about all of our lives, that what we say and how we say it can not only change the destiny uh, of our family, it can change the destiny of our lives, and as we're going to see in a moment here, the destiny even of a nation. So uh, I think words have power to them. They have the words can actually lift people up or they can crush people. Isn't that true? It, it just happens that way. It's life and death, Proverbs teach us. And so in 1 Kings uh, chapter 12 and verse 1, we read, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. I'm going to go down to verse 3. And so they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam, and they said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us. How many know to build all those amazing uh, works that Solomon built actually probably created a lot of taxation. There was a lot of uh, infrastructure that was being built, and it was a burden on the people. And so they said, lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke you put on us, and we will serve you. And Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and come back to me. So the people went away. Now, how many know that was kind of wisdom on his part? He didn't give him an immediate answer. I, I always think it's wise to sometimes step back and say, okay, this is a big question, and I'm going to consider what you're saying and, and consult with some people. And so he did do that. And then we read in verse 6, I think he went to the right people. He consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. Now, how would you advise me to answer the people, he asked. Now, how many know that when you're asking people who've lived longer, they probably have a few more experiences in life, right? And, you know, when you're, when you're young, you're enthusiastic, but you lack experience. 
And I don't think most young people, this is not a picking on young people moment, but I'm just going to point out to all of us, and I can say this when I look back in my younger days, you don't understand the ramifications of the decisions you're making at the time. You know, you can only see the moment, not so much how this is going to play out. You can see that this is going to benefit the moment, but it may not have long-term benefits. It may actually be a negative thing long-term. So we asked them, how would you advise me? And they said, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Isn't that good advice? He's saying, listen, this is what true leadership is all about. If we're going to truly lead people, and especially if we're going to be Christian leaders and we're going to lead people, really, we're servants of God. And how do we do that is by becoming a servant of others. And so that's what they gave him. And I thought that was wise counsel. Uh, But then he looked elsewhere for counsel. He didn't stop with these older guys. He went to his peers. And in verse 8 it says, But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. In other words, he didn't like that counsel. You know, and so he asked them, What's your advice? How should we answer these people? And And who say to me, Lighten the yoke your father put on us? And this is what they said. The young men who had grown up with him replied, These people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Now what what is he saying there? He's saying, Listen, if you think that's tough, I'm going to be tougher. How many think that might not be a good response? Then it says, my father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'm going to scourge you with scorpions. In other words, I'm going to make it even more painful for you. Now, how many know that that kind of response is probably not going to go over very well? You know? Uh, Unfortunately, he didn't listen to the older guys. He kind of went with his peers. Basically, they were saying, hey, man, show them your muscle. You know, tell them. You're the king here. You're the boss. They're going to do what you tell them. And then the Bible says this. The king answered the people harshly rejecting the advice given to him by the elders. And because he did not listen to that word of wisdom, and instead he answered harshly, which is really foolishness on his part, you know what he did? He alienated rather than bring people together, and he caused division. And so there were 12 tribes in Israel, and 10 tribes left. I mean, the majority of his kingdom departed. He caused strife in his nation. And this is what Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 tells us. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. How many know that's a powerful proverb? And what's he basically telling us? He's basically saying, you know, gentleness goes a lot further than harshness, especially in the area of human relationship. Anybody figured that out yet? You know? Uh, that's good. We're learning, right? Verse 18. We're going to be looking at Proverbs 15, if you haven't figured this out. The entire chapter really deals with this issue of communications. Verse 18, he says, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one who is patient calms a quarrel. Isn't it amazing, you know, if you can keep your cool when everybody else is, you know, bubbling over and all uptight, you're actually, in a sense... In one sense, you're really controlling the situation. You know, how many know that when you just escalate with people, you're just making things worse? And how many know most arguments, you know, it takes two to make an argument really fly. And so if one of the people is not arguing back, how many know that argument comes to a swift end? But usually what happens, you know, and I've had this happen where couples have come in and shared and they were upset with each other, and pretty soon, you know, they're, they're intensifying in front of me. And I can't even, you know, I can't even stop them. I mean, it's just like they're really doing damage here. I'm going, whoa, you know. But that's sad when we do that. But if one person has enough wisdom to pull back and just say, you know, I'm just going to let that person talk. And, you know, sometimes people have come to me and they're upset about something and they're really upset and they're telling me the best thing I can do is just what? Listen. Listen. And not say anything. Because no matter what you say, you're just going to add more fuel to their fire. So I don't say anything. I try to listen to them. I'm trying to hear what they're saying. I want them to just peter out. I want them to get all that junk out of their system. And then when they're finally done, you know, then they finally say, well, do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm just saying, well, I, can, I sense you're deeply wounded. You know, just you start out with agreeing with where their emotions are at. But how many recognize that book of Proverbs and wisdom literature, you have this contrast continually happening, and many of the Proverbs are what they call antithetical 
parallelism. And that's a fancy word of saying they're contrast, they're opposites. And they're trying to show you the contrast between people who walk in wisdom, which is walking in the fear of the Lord, and those who walk in foolishness, which is a rejection of God's way, and it's the embracing of human understanding to problems, and often creates even deeper problems. And so we're going to learn of God's ways. How many think it might be good to be on God's path, walking in God's way, learning how to think like God, behave like God, speak like God, do what God-like things? And that's what it means to be godly. We're like God. And that's what we're learning from the book of Proverbs here. And so we're going to examine this, these texts that contrast godly, wise people and how they communicate, which I consider healthy communication versus people who have rejected God, who are operating under their own understanding, and how we're operating with an unhealthy, unwise approach to communication. Now, I think most of us realize that communication is critical in fostering and maintaining relationships. How many know if you don't communicate, you got a problem? You know, a lot of people just say, you know, Pastor, we just drifted apart, we stopped communicating. So we don't want that to happen. Paul Kopic in his commentary on, on Proverbs says, social interaction and business dealings always have an element of conflict and difference of opinion, but conflict can be aggravated or it can be calm depending on how one answers. Now, how many here can honestly say in your dealings with people, you've had moments where you've misunderstood? Okay? Every hand should be up. Come on, guys. You can't always be clear on every communication, right? And so sometimes, you know, somebody will say something, and if we're not careful, we can react, right? Because we've misunderstood. We've taken something the wrong way. We get all steamed up, and we're all upset for nothing, you know? I remember as a young pastor, we'd be in, in business meetings in our fellowship, and two guys would be arguing with each other, and I'm a young guy. I'm sitting there listening. I'm going, do you know they're actually saying the same thing? And they think they're saying something the opposite, and they're just getting fired right up. So finally, I just raised my hands and say, you know, you guys are actually agreeing with each other. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> You know, it's a little bit of a shock. You know what the problem is? Sometimes we're not listening to each other. How many go, that's probably a lot of the problems? You know, a lot of miscommunication because we're really not hearing what the person's trying to say. And how many have ever said the wrong words and you didn't mean to say that word, but you said it anyways, and wow, can that get you into trouble, right? That's not what you meant, but that's what you said. And that gets us into trouble. So sometimes we have to say, you know, you just said this. Is that what you really meant? Because, I mean, that doesn't seem consistent with who you are. He goes on to say here, the wise person knows how to get at the matters of concern and work towards solutions so that all parties involved are reasonably satisfied. I like the word reasonably, you know, because a lot of people today, they always want to win at any price, and that's not healthy in a relationship. You know, fools thinking only for their own interests throw gasoline on the fires of conflict, leading others to respond in kind. In other words, they're just escalating these situations. So what are we going to learn today from these ancient writers of wisdom? What does God want to say to us through them that will enrich our lives and those around us? What we say either enhances or diminishes our relationship. How many know that's true? You know, you can walk along and just build people up with your words, or you can be just stripping them down and diminishing them as people. So I think this helps us going to build meaningful relationships in our marriages, with our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, or if we're younger people. Or, uh, I want to look at three aspects of what makes for wise or healthy speech. You may want to jot these down, because I think these are going to be a help to us. The first one is the source of healthy speech. Where does this come from? Where does wise speech originate from? You know, and I, I'm gonna just say it this way. It's simply a reflection of the condition of our soul. That's where speech comes from. In other words, it comes from our hearts. Now listen to what Proverbs 15, seven says. The lips, or the speech, of the wise speak knowledge, but the heart of fools are not upright. So now, what, what's, what's he contrasting here? He's, he's saying the wise person says the right things. But we, we get from the second part of this proverb why people who are not wise, why they're not saying the right things. It's because their hearts are in the wrong place. So if your heart's in the right place, you're going to speak with knowledge and wisdom. And you're going to speak with healthy communication. But if your heart's in the wrong place, you're going to have this negative uh, experience. So then we learn as... 
I've, I've tried to point out over time that the Hebrew mindset, and I'm trying to give us a biblical view of the word heart. You know, it's not the physical pump organ that's keeping your body going. The word heart in the Bible is really talking about your innermost being. It's talking about your soul. It's talking about your, who you who are in essence. It's talking about your mind, your emotions, and your will. It's all of that. The heart is all of those things in a Hebrew understanding. And so that's why Proverbs is teaching us here in chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. So whatever is going on in your heart is going to come out. And it usually comes out in what we say. As a matter of fact, the next verse in that chapter, uh, Proverbs 4 says, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. So how in the world can I do that, Pastor? If what I'm saying is really coming out of my heart, how can I change what I'm saying? Now what's the obvious answer? Change your heart, right? How many think that's simple? We just gotta have a change of heart. But how many know that's kinda hard to do? How do you change your heart? This is really uh, practical stuff here, guys. So once again, the wisdom teachers give us clear insight into the process of how we bring about transformation into our hearts that leads to a change of what we're gonna say. In Proverbs 15, 14, it says, the discerning heart seeks what? Knowledge, but the mouth of fools, what do they feed on? Folly. So what, what, what is this basically saying? What you take in comes out, right? You know, I could say this, you know, you know, Cam, he's a doctor. He'll understand this. You know, food affects your bodies. How many know that's true? What we eat affects us. If we, if we eat the kind of foods that are healthy for our bodies, our, our bodies start thriving. Isn't that true? Your body's going to do better. You know, what happens if all I ever ate, let, you know, because remember the guy that did the experiment? He went to McDonald's for an entire, only ate McDonald's food. Sorry, McDonald's, you know. But he basically showed that that probably is not a healthy diet. You know, I don't think it's wrong to do that once in a while, but if that's all you eat, that's probably not going to be too good for your body. And he had lots of problems physically because he was eating the wrong food. What he was taking in was affecting him in a very powerful way. So let's move that into the spiritual arena. Let's move that into our soul life. If we're just feeding our soul on a bunch of junk, I can say it this way, we're feeding our soul spiritual junk food, what's going to come out of our mouths? Junk. There you go, junk. So what should we be feeding our souls? Question mark. What should I be feeding my soul? You see, yeah, the Word of God. That's the right answer. I mean, you want to you be transformed? Listen to what Paul writes in the, to the book of, uh, in the book of Romans. He says it this way. He says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't, don't embrace the values of this culture. How do you do, not do that? He says, rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to renew your mind, and the only place to do that is in the Word of God. Now, I'm going to say something's going to shock a bunch of you, because I know there's a bunch of Christians, and you're, you're Christian junk food addicts. You say, what do you mean? Because you're sitting there reading all kinds of stuff on the internet, and can I tell you, most of it's garbage? I hate to tell you that, but I'm going to say it today, because I think you've got to stop feeding your soul that stuff, because it's cranking you up. It's amping you up. And it's unhealthy for you. You know, get into the Word of God. You know, if you don't know how to study the Word of God, come and talk to me. You know, we actually have Bible courses. I've just been uh, doing a course on the parables of Jesus. Man, that has been powerful. I think it's challenged a lot of people that have been taking that course. But, you know, maybe next uh, fall here, I'll do a course on how to study the Bible. How many would like that? I'll show you how to do it so that you can start feeding your soul and learning how to study the Bible for yourself and growing in your understanding and rightly interpreting it. Because, you know, a lot of people misinterpret the Bible. I'm going to tell you that all the time. I, 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 I just... It's mind-boggling how we twist and turn the scriptures. And by the way, Satan is the one that quotes the Bible probably more than anybody else. But he applies it the wrong way. He's quoting it the wrong way. And so I'm just pointing this out to us. You and I need to really spend time in the Word of God. You know, we should be reading great chunks of it. We should be, you know, finding, you know, I'm going to say this. There's People that have studied their whole life the Bible, they're, they're great Bible teachers, they, they write great commentaries, 
You know, those are the people you should be looking things up. I do that all the time. Look up, make sure I'm actually on track in my understanding. And, you know, probably the greatest thing that's happened recently in my life is I've, I've, done, I've gone back to school and did far more research on the Bible background and got more of an understanding of how people were thinking in that day and how they perceive things. So it shapes the way you think, and the way you think is going to shape your heart, and the, your heart is going to have an impact in what you say to people. You're going to have a lot more wisdom, and I think that's important. I remember years ago, I was a youth pastor. That's a long time ago, guys. You know, because I started pastoring when I was 30, so this is before I'm 30 years old. And I remember listening to a series of, uh, they were at those times, Real to Real. That's how long ago it was, right? And it came out of a book that Francis Schaeffer wrote. He was a theologian and a philosopher, and he, he, he worked in Switzerland, and he, he really focused in on the culture of his day, and he was basically sharing that what shapes the minds of people. And he, he basically said this, if you want to understand where culture's at, if you want to understand where culture's going, listen to the artists of the day, the people that are in, like, creating things, like songs or, you know, uh, creational works or even the media. And you know what I noticed? He's dead on because what's happened in our culture is people think they're original thinkers. None of them are. They've been shaped by the culture. And so if you wonder where the culture's at, all you got to do is watch movies and listen to the songs, and you go, that's where their head's at. And so all people are doing is parroting what the culture's been feeding them for the last 20, 30 years. And let me tell you something, it's not been wisdom. And you say, how do you know that? Because they lack the fear of God. And so the Bible says in the book of Romans, thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools because they didn't glorify God nor were thankful to God. And when you exit God out of the equation in your life, you're not becoming a wise person. Even though you may have intelligence, you're actually becoming a foolish person because you're going to start making decisions that are contrary to the way God developed this world and planned it and ordered it. And then you have the breakdown of society. And that's what we're watching today. We're watching the disorder and breakdown of our culture today because people are not listening to what God has to say. God is far smarter than we are. How many know that what happens is when you start shaping these values, that becomes a worldview? And so what I'm con my deepest concern as a pastor is that you as believers would develop a biblical worldview, that you would have that kind of a mindset, that you would be able to discern what's being said in the culture, and you'd even be able to discern, because I think there's even people that are naming the name of Christ, but their thinking and understanding is sometimes a little bit skewed, you know, because we can go from one extreme to the next. And yet, I think the Bible is, is very relevant and rich, and it shows us the heart and mind of God, and it's applicable to any generation. You want to know how powerful uh, and, and dominant this idea of where values are coming from? How, you know, the question could be asked, and I remember reading this years ago. There was a German pastor and, and theologian by the name of Helmut Telika, and he came to the United States in 1963. And he was asked the question, how could Germany, you know, follow Hitler? Isn't that, how many think that's a good question? How could a whole nation be deceived by a leader? And you know what it was? They, were, they, they had a propaganda machine. And all of a sudden, you know, they just kept telling lies until people thought that the lie was the truth. And that's what happens. You believe a lie. And here's what I'm going to say to all of us as Christians. And Paul says it. You know, God's going to allow a lie to come to test us. God lets... You know, things happen. People go, why is God letting this happen? It's a test. Because if you truly love God and you truly love the truth, you won't be deceived. See, that's the thing. God, I really love you, and I, and I really want to know the truth, and I'm not just interested in what's the popular theology of the day or the latest trend in the church. I'm not even interested in what culture's having to say. What I'm really concerned about is what you have to say. And what I noticed over the years is that as I study the Old Testament, do you know there were more false prophets than there were true prophets? And that the true prophets were literally, you know, people were upset with them. They didn't want to hear what they had to say because they were speaking God's message and it was the truth. And people would rather believe a lie than believe the truth. And that's an indictment against us because of what we want to feed our soul on. And I'm going to just say this to us. What do you want to feed your soul on? Because that's an important question. And let me move to the, you know, the, the Bible says here in Proverbs 15, 26, the Lord detests the thoughts of the wicked, 
That's God's attitude towards our worldview. This cultural worldview is like putrid in the eyes of God. He detests it because it's bringing this culture to death. It's ruining the lives of people, and God's heart is breaking over this culture. But gracious words are pure in his sight. In other words, the only gracious words I know come from the book. It's God's words. Let me move on to the second aspect that makes for wise or healthy speech. First of all is the source of it. It comes from God. Number two is our response towards correction. How many know the only way you can change is to, first of all, identify the issues in your life that need changing? You know? You know all of these 12-step programs? What's the first step? You have to acknowledge you have a problem. If you don't identify that you got an issue, you can't get better. How many know that? And a lot of people today are living in a state of self-deception. And it's not just people that are dealing with, you know, drug addiction or chemical addiction, you know, but we got people that are, have an intellectual addiction, an intellectual addiction to lies. And they're just as addicted and it's just as dangerous. And until you come to the knowledge of the truth that you and I are sinners in need of a savior, we're all gonna be in trouble. That's the way it works. Wise people realize that there are things about themselves that others see that, see that they're blind to. Now, this is both good and bad. Sometimes we don't even see the good in our lives. You know, a lot of people diminish themselves and put themselves down because they don't see how beautiful they really are, and other people do. You know, some, some of you are way too hard on yourselves. You know, I hear people tell me things, and I'm going, that's not what I see in your life. I see this. I see this beautiful person, you know, that needs to be released. <laughs> you know, that's what I see. Right? Pastor Mark, haven't you seen that when you talk to people? How many times people have diminished themselves when you're counseling them? And it grieves, it breaks my heart. I go, that God doesn't make junk. Please write that down in your notebook. God does not make junk. God made me, therefore I'm not junk. Thank you very much. All right? But what happens is sin comes into my life and it messes with my head and it messes me up and then I think I'm junk. And so what the problem is is sin, so let's deal with the sin problem. Let's come to God and say, God, do a work in my life. Transform my life, you know? But on the negative side, there are unhealthy, unwise, and sinful things we do. There's attitudes that need to be checked. And if they're left unchecked and unconfessed, they lead to sin, and then they lead to broken relationships. Listen to Proverbs 15, 31. Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. You know, I love it when people preach. I don't get mad at the preacher. If I'm sitting there and it applies to me and I need to smarten up, I go, thank you, Lord. Thank you for talking to me today. Thank you for, you know, straightening me out right now. My attitude was wrong here. I was wrong about that. I need to change. That's how I think. And it's healthy. It's a good thing. You're at home among the wise. It says in verse 32, those who disregard discipline despise themselves. Listen to me now. You know, if you're a rebellious person in heart and you don't like to receive correction, you are despising whom? Yourself. Is that strong or what? Listen, you're a wise person that says, you know what, I don't mind when somebody corrects me when I'm wrong. I don't get upset, I don't get mad, I don't get indignant, I don't go, my feelings are all hurt, you know. Our whole culture is don't tell anybody they're wrong. Come on. You're going to alienate people, pastor, if you tell them they're wrong. Yeah, just let them perish in their sins. That's what we want to do. That's the loving thing to do. Let's let them destroy their lives. Because how many know these principles are eternal principles? God's word is eternal. And God says this is the way life works, guys. But the one who heeds correction gains what? Understanding. Hey, I want to grow. You know, I, I, it's too funny. You go to school, you pay money to go to school, which I've done, and then the teacher corrects you. And nowadays, the teachers are telling me it's really hard to be a teacher because if you correct them, they all go to the administration and say, we can't be corrected. Well, that's where it's gotten to nowadays. Is that nuts or what? Yeah. Folks, you're paying to learn. And sometimes you don't have it straight. You need to be corrected. It's not a bad thing. But we see it as a negative thing, right? The Hebrew word for discipline is musar, which means to instruct, chasten, or rebuke. It's actually a verbal rebuke. Sometimes we have to be rebuked. Now, I think there's a way to rebuke people and there's a way not to rebuke people, right? The Proverbs, Dr. Longman points out, observes that the wise are those who listen to correction. Only the wise are willing to admit mistakes 
change behavior, and improve their lives. So if you've already done that, you know the idea of repentance is a change of mind. If you repent, you're a wise person. That's wisdom. It'll improve your life. In this way, correction enhances life. I like that. He says wise persons are much less likely to make the same mistakes twice. Boy, I don't like making the same mistake twice. You know, I, I can forgive myself the first time, not too bad. The second time, I'm going, are you an idiot or what? Can't you figure this out yet? You know, I'm just pointing it out. That's how my mind works. You know, please learn, Paul, from this thing. Don't keep doing the same mistake. You're going to get the same results. That's kind of one of the definitions of insanity, right? Doing the same things and hoping for a different result, you know? No. Make a change, right? The proverb, in effect, suggests that wisdom is defined by one's willingness to listen to correction. Here in Proverbs 15, we see a number of problem, uh, proverbs that deal with our insecurities, our rebelliousness, and our defensiveness. Anybody here say, well, I've got some insecurities, I've got some defensiveness, okay. Now, what I'm gonna ch- tell you is this, you gotta lay those things down. You know, part of the Christian life is dying to yourself in order to have life. Okay, all of these things impact our ability to grow as a person, especially in our interpersonal skills. You know what I tell people that struggle in relationships? Spend every day in Proverbs. Master this book. Your interpersonal skills will go way up. And I'll tell you a little secret. How many want to hear a little secret about how to succeed in life? Okay, when you're a leader of an organization, if you're going to promote somebody and you have two people that have the same skill level but one has superior people skills, or even if this person has superior people skills and this other person has better, you know, other types of skills but really weak on people skills, you know who's going to get promoted? The person with the people skills. Start reading Proverbs. It'll help you to move forward in life. It'll help you in your marriage. It'll help you in your relationships. It's just the best thing to learn. Here in Proverbs, we see that what happens, that we learn these bad habits as a child. Listen to what it says. A fool spurns a parent's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. Remember what prudence is? It's forethought. See, think ahead. This is a good thing. You know, some of you, just be honest, you were a rebel as a kid. Okay? It caused you grief. Amen? Come on now. Yeah, now we're getting honest, and it's good. Let's just say, you know what, from this day forward, Lord, you're my Father in heaven. I'm not going to stop being a rebel. I'm going to be someone who submits to your word. I'm going to just have an ear to do what you're telling me to do. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 3.11 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he what? Loves, thank you very much. As a father, the son he delights in. Discipline is a sign then of God's love toward us in helping us deal with the unhealthy and unwise things in our lives. Matter of fact, Proverbs 15.10 says, Stern discipline awaits anyone who leaves the path. The one who hates correction will die. Ouch. And here's the deal. You know, People who resent being corrected avoid people who are living wisely. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 15, 12 says, mockers resent correction, so they avoid the wise. You ever wonder why people don't want to go to church? They don't want to be told they're wrong. Come on now. But here's the good news. If you're, if you're just listening to God every day, reading the Bible, you know what happens when you come to church? Most of the time, you're just affirmed. And every once in a while, you're corrected. But you know what happens when you miss church for long periods of time and you come back, you go, man... It's, it's almost like going to the dentist and you haven't been there in five or six years. <laughs> we got some work to do here, buddy. <laughs> right? You know, that's why I go to the dentist twice a year. <laughs> I don't want to show up six years later and go, I'm going to take every tooth out of your mouth or something. You know, that's, that's heavy-duty stuff, right? Come on now. Isn't that true? Yeah. As a matter of fact, it says, when we hang with people who never challenge our lives, we suffer. Matter of fact, Proverbs 27, 17, which is the men's ministry's motto, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. How many know it's good to hang around people that are really godly? You start learning what it's like to be a godly person. A true friend tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Again, Proverbs 27, 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What is he saying there? He's saying... You know what? A true friend tells you what you need to hear. 
enemies or people that are flattering you are just telling what you want to hear, but they're not your true friends. They're going to let you destroy yourself. Let me move on to point number three. The third aspect that makes for wise or healthy speech is the effects it has on other people. Now, we've looked at the roots of it. We've looked at how we have to adjust. Now we're going to talk about what happens. What are the outcomes when I do what God tells me to do? What are the outcomes of a healthy speech? What, has, what happens when I'm speaking wisely? Well, our words impact other people around us. You know that? It's powerful. Do you know language possesses the power to create or to destroy? Even proper language, however, has to be qualified by place and time. You know, an app response, Proverbs says, is really important. The right moment. You know, sometimes God will check you and say, no, you even though you might have an answer, that person may not be ready to receive it. Yeah. It, takes, it takes patience, you know, it takes wisdom. You know, sometimes you're around people and they're telling you crazy things and I'm just listening. And I'm just going, okay, is this a person that I need to say something to or not say something to? Because, you know, Proverbs tells you that. You know, it says, rebuke a fool and you're going to suffer. Then it says, rebuke a fool or he'll become wise in their own eyes. What's he saying? It sounds like the opposite. No, it's telling you to discern what's the right moment when to correct and when not to. It takes wisdom to do that. How many know the book of James is actually the New Testament wisdom literature blown up and, and it's powerful, you know? Consider uh, what is being said. It's a folly to ignore the past. Oh, let me just say this. I wanna just quote something here from uh, Leo Perdue. He says this. The lips of the widespread knowledge, but the heart of fools are not upright, which derives from the tradition they receive through instruction, whereas fools utter folly that ignore tradition and overturn social order. I, I wanted to just add that little quote because I think what I see happening right now is you got a lot of people who are not very wise, who are angry and frustrated, and that are just, you know, they don't care what they're doing. They don't understand that there's an order to life. And so people who are angry and frustrated, maybe by a, a, an injustice or a perceived injustice, but, but respond to it in an unhealthy way, actually are causing more damage than good. And you go, what are you talking about, Pastor? I'll give you a classic example. Let's just turn to our neighbor to the south. What's happening right now? You got anarchy. Do you think that that's the right approach to solving the injustice problem? Of course not. And that's how foolish people handle things. They do a lot of damage. Let me just point out to you something here. The book of James describes that kind of an understanding as earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He says in chapter three, verse 15, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is unearthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Disorder and every evil practice. How can you, make, how can you build life and health with, by causing disorder? It doesn't work. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. It comes from a pure heart. You know, as a matter of fact, I'll say this, if you and I don't have a pure heart, we won't see God. Jesus said it, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. In other words, what, is, what are we really learning today? Pure speech, wise speech, healthy speech comes from a what? A pure heart, and that's wisdom. And James goes on to say then peace loving. So here's, here's the wisdom. Here's when you know you have wisdom. This is when you know you're speaking with wisdom and it's coming from a pure heart. It comes across like this. It's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial. It's sincere. It brings about peace. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So the wisdom literature encourages more than just restraint and, and thoughtful consideration before uh, we speak. As a matter of fact, it says the heart of the righteous, sorry, I'm skipping that, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. What does that tell? Engage brain before speaking. <clears throat> That's my little summary of that, right? Book of James certainly is deeply influenced by this literature. And he says, in other words, consider what you're saying before you say it. Think, you know. How many go, oops, was that my inside voice? <laughs> you know, in other words, it just popped out. <laughs> Did I say that? You know. James 1.19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be what? Quick to listen. 
Somebody said that's why God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. How many of you have ever had those moments when you've looked at something, you've kind of interpreted it, and you got really upset, and you were getting hot about it? And then you, later on, if you had any wisdom, you kept your mouth shut, you went over there and you said, hey, what's happening here? And somebody starts explaining it to you and what you saw and what was reality were two different things. Anybody have that experience? So if you're really a smart person, keep your mouth shut, just ask questions, and you'll start finding out that, man, it may not be what you think. And here's the other thing. If you're a foolish person, you keep your mouth shut, people still think you're smart. (laughs) I just quoted a proverb. He goes on to say, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Isn't that interesting? So getting mad all the time isn't going to do anything. It's not producing God's righteousness. What does he suggest that we do to experience change in this area in our lives? We have to address what we're feeding our minds. See, James is going to say the same thing I just said earlier in Proverbs. He says this, therefore get rid of all moral filth, and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Then he reinforces it by saying, don't just listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do it. You know what? Long before Nike came up with the slogan, just do it, I'm giving it to you from God's word. When you hear it, do it. Okay? Because you know what happens to a lot of us as Christians? We hear it, we learn it, We understand it, we think about it, and that's the end of it. And then we think we're doing it. We're deceiving ourselves. That's what James goes on to say. Knowing something is not necessarily doing it. And then James goes on to talk about this transforming work of God's grace on our hearts. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. How many go, wow, is there any hope for us? You know? (laughs) What's he saying? He's saying our mouths are getting us in a lot of trouble and they're just spitting things out. Here's the good news. The only way to tame the tongue is to give your heart to God. That's the only way to tame the tongue. Because when your heart is fully surrendered to God and your heart becomes transformed and purified, what's coming out of your heart is going to be spoken. And that's why the Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's how you become a Christian. It's a change of heart that leads to a change of confession. I now believe. Okay. So what is needed then is a change of heart. And then the end result, wise communication. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Ultimately, we need to see how our communication impacts our relationship or communion with God. In Proverbs 15, 8, it says, The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. Now, it's not that God is against sacrifice. That's not the parallelism that he's contrasting here. What he's contrasting is that... uh, it's the prayer of the upright. It's, it's the heart of the person that brings us close to God. Do you know why God has a hard time hearing? Let me just move on to this next proverb here. Uh, well, I didn't put it in. Okay. I'm trying to get it back. It says, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Let me just say this. Why is it that God has a hard time hearing a person who is wicked? It's not because God isn't near them, and it's not because God can't hear them, it's because they are far from God. Okay? Let me just say that again. See, God is near everybody, but some of us are far from him. Isn't that an amazing thought? And so when our hearts are in the wrong place, it's just like we're in the wrong space. And I love, I was just reading this uh, one writer who said, distance and closeness are not a matter of space, but the ability to communicate, to speak and be heard. And the wicked have put themselves out of God's range. It's not because God's not there. It's because they're not there. They're not talking to God. They have no interest. They have no concern about it. 
And so you and I can be very close to God. All we have to do is mention his name, and he's right there, and he's listening, and God's attentive to the cry of our hearts. And listen, it doesn't matter what situation you're in today. It doesn't matter what challenge you're faced with today. It doesn't matter which sorrow you're embracing today or what evil you're trying to overcome today. When you and I mention the name of God, when we cry out to him, he hears our cry. We have communication with God. He's interested. He loves every last one of us because he created every human being. And he has an interest. And we need to know that. So, what are, we, what are we inciting by our words? Fear? Anger? Hatred? Violence? I'm not suggesting that we don't correct, but the tone of language can either build up or tear down. Isn't that true? Just our tone. You know, I wrote a whole chapter. This is actually my thesis, Communications from Proverbs. I wrote a whole chapter on nonverbals. Just the body language speaks. Our tone speaks, right? All of those add up to, is our language filled with solutions, with hope, with gentleness, and with love? Or are we walking around just pointing out the problems? Can I just say something? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to tell me what the problems are. It takes a wise person to come along and say, I know what we can do to make this better for people. That's wisdom. And that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be people that have solutions, not just showing people what the problem is, right? And that's why I think it's so important that at the last verse here, when Paul says this, instead, speaking the truth in love. And when you and I learn how to do that, when you and I learn how to speak God's word, in such a loving way. What we're gonna do is we're gonna grow in every respect. We will, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You wanna become like Jesus? This is it. You need to change of heart that speaks God's word in a loving and wise and healthy way and you will become more like him. And you will have healthier marriages, healthier relationships, I mean, I think this is kind of nice. God is giving you and I the tools to have meaningful, healthy relationships. Isn't that great? Yeah, cool. It's awesome. It's amazing. Let's stand as we close the service this morning. How many say to yourself, you know what? My mouth gets me in trouble at times. Oh, you know... It was I was so moved this morning. Some of the guys are praying, and I just I was so moved by the prayers. You know, here's, here's, a, here's a beginning point in this whole message. Can you imagine if we, just, we could say to the Lord, Lord, I've messed up. What do you think God goes? You already know that. Yeah. yeah, he knows that. But you know what? I think we need to admit to him that we now know we're not where we should be. And that there maybe needs a few rearranging things happening in our hearts so that our, our vocabulary, our speech, moves from being unhealthy to healthy. How many want to have healthy speech versus unhealthy speech? Anybody here? How many here want to speak in wisdom rather than in folly? Okay. What that suggests is God work on my heart. Listen to what, here, here's what I came to the conclusion, you know, studying Proverbs for two years. I don't have the text right in front of me, but Proverbs, you know, says this, guard your heart, okay? That's a responsibility I have. But I said, God, I even need help there to guard it. Anybody else need help to guard your heart? I need, my, I need God's help to guard my heart. There's another proverb that says, give me your heart. God says, give me your heart. God, how many say, you know what? I think what I'm gonna do this morning is I'm gonna give my heart to God. Yeah, well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but I'm still gonna give my heart to God. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get up tomorrow and give my heart to God. As a matter of fact, I want to walk through the day just giving my heart to God so that what flows out of me is a pure heart that reflects this beautiful wisdom that's coming from above, that when I'm speaking, I'm learning knowledge. God's not against knowledge. See, I think we try to create this battle, you know, faith versus knowledge. No, no, no. It's important to study God's word, learn as much as we can about God's ways, understand his words, and then let that knowledge frame our thinking and our understanding and our speech. And then it's going to produce healthy relationships. I think it takes wisdom to build. It doesn't take a lot of wisdom to tear things down.
And I'll close with the story. I remember years ago, we were going to remodel our first home. We'd bought a house, and it needed a lot of work. And uh, we had this fireplace we wanted to get rid of, and I said to Rick, who was helping me do this, because he, he knew what he was doing. I was clueless. What do we do here? He says, watch. Takes his hammer, and he just drove it into that wall and started pulling drywall out. I said, I can do that. Because how many know it doesn't take any skill to destroy something? No skill at all. You know, right? No skill at all. But to build it back up, that takes skill. And my prayer for all of us is that we will be skillful people. We will have, that's what wisdom is, by the way. It's a skill. That we'll learn the skills of God. And it starts with admitting, I need God to do a work in my heart. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you this morning that we want to speak wise and healthy words. And that suggests to us we need to have a heart that is pure. So purify your hearts. I love David's psalm, the psalm, the prayer, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right or steadfast spirit within me. Lord, would you do that? Would you create a work of grace in our hearts? And the areas, when, when we say the wrong thing, may your spirit come very quickly and say, why'd you say that? May your spirit just be on top of us, correcting us and showing us maybe we spoke out of hurt or insecurity or anger or frustration. Maybe we spoke, Lord, out of envy or judgment. And I just pray today that you would do a work in our hearts so that we could speak healthy and wise words. That our words, Lord, would build up. Our words would edify and instruct. And yes, even at times our words would correct, but when we're doing it, Father, give us that tender, loving, concerned heart that would help that individual. The only reason we're saying these things is to help that person move forward in a good way. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to remind you really quickly, you know, we have to turn this whole building around, like sanitize the whole building for the next service, including the children's department. So can I just encourage you to go quickly pick up your kids? Because last week you got so excited about seeing people, you forgot to pick them up right away. And we had problems trying to clean the children's area. So would you be kind enough to go grab your kids right away and take them out so they can start cleaning that area? We so appreciate that. And if you want to give and use the office area to do that, the ushers, you just need to let them go do that, okay? So they're gonna, the ushers are going to help us leave now. Just wait for them to come. They'll help you leave. Bless you.